Hello everyone and welcome to a very special edition of Slasher Street Podcast. My name is Ryan Devlin, thank you so much for joining me once again. This is a horror movie podcast where each week I will be reviewing a different horror movie from our epic collection here at the house. However, this is more of a bonus episode, a special edition. Uh, We have already released our weekly episode a couple of days ago where we covered Bride of Chucky. So if you've not already checked that out, make sure to go and you know, check it out. It's available on all major podcast platforms. Um, but this one, this episode is more of a bonus episode because this past week I was lucky enough to do our very first interview for the podcast. Um, this is something that we're hoping to maybe do um, a little more regular, you know, so if we can get, if people are gracious enough to give us their time, be very much appreciative. But this is the first one, so I'm super, super, super excited uh, to share this with you guys. Uh, so this past week, I sat down for a full one-hour interview with the director of the 2018 supernatural horror movie, Mara, which centers around a sleep paralysis demon. If you've not already seen it, make sure to check it out. But I am talking about the one and only Mr. Clive Tongue, where um, basically we discussed Clive's entire career. Um, He was gracious enough to give us a full one hour of his time, which we're really appreciative of. Um, And basically, we talk talk about his entire career. We talk about, of course, the making of Mara, where the idea came from, and talk about that movie quite in depth. So if you are a fan of Mara, you're in for a real treat with this interview. Uh, We talk about some of the shorts, some of the awards that he's done over the years. Um, So it's a really, really good chat, and I hope you guys enjoy the interview. Um, But before we get into the interview itself, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Mara, um, just so you kind of have a bit of background on it. So if you have already seen the film, um, you already know what I'm going to say. But if you've never seen the film before, um, I would highly recommend it. It's available on Sky Movies here in the UK. Um, It's available on Netflix in the US. It's available on on Amazon Prime, um, I believe in the US and in the UK. Um, and it's available on DVD. So, I mean, I bought the DVD for, I think, £4 on on, on Amazon some time ago. So, you know, it's a really affordable DVD. Uh, so what's that, $7 in America? You know, it's nothing. So, <laughs> so make sure to go and check the movie out. Uh, it centres around a criminal psychologist who is investigating the murders of these, of these people who have died in their sleep. And obviously we find out that... Uh, no one is actually responsible for these murders, or at least no one human, um, because it's all down to a sleep paralysis demon, and it's an actual real legend. The legend of Mara is very much real, uh, which we cover in the interview with Clive here. And of course, sleep paralysis, it's a huge condition that affects apparently 40% of the world. Uh, so, you know, this is based on on real stuff, which is really terrifying. Uh, thankfully, I, I don't suffer from sleep paralysis, but after watching this movie, I totally see how, how this could affect someone's life, even if really there wasn't an old hag or an old demon, you know, come to kill you, but, you know, in, in general, how terrifying this must be. Um, so if you sleep from, if you suffer rather from sleep paralysis, uh, I'm sure you'll be able to relate with this movie and, and the message it sends. And if you don't, then maybe, you know, you could be a bit, you can kind of see what people go through on a, on a day-to-day basis uh, with this condition. 
So, as I say, I would highly recommend that movie. I'm sure we'll cover it on a future episode where we discuss it in full. Uh, well, that's a brief overview of the movie. It's got a great cast. Um, it's really well made. It had a huge production. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm talking too much about the movie. Let's get into it. Let's let Clive talk about um, essentially his breakthrough project and hopefully something that will uh, lead on to uh, to many more successes in the, in his uh, in his career in the future. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, without any further ado, let's just get into it. Here is our full uncut interview with the director of Mara, Mr. Clive Tung. Okay, everyone, and welcome back to Slasher Street, and we are joined by a very, very special guest here. He is the director and writer of the supernatural horror movie Mara, which you may have seen about the sleep paralysis demon that came out a couple of years ago. It is the one and only Clive Tung. So, Clive, thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Yeah. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. Um, first interview for the channel, so thank you very much for being so gracious. And you're now living here in Cumbria. Or do you live in Cumbria? Or... I live here during the week, right. not at the weekend. Cool. Um, yeah. But oh. I work here, so yeah, I've got to be here Monday to Friday. Oh. And that's how we've, you know, everyone listens knows we live in sunny Cumbria, so that's how we've managed to nab Clive this afternoon. Um, so I suppose the first question I would ask is uh, what made you get into filmmaking? Oh, that's a pretty easy question to answer. Actually, it's something I wanted to do from when I was a, from when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, today's culture is very celebrity obsessed. I would say, but I cannot deny that me and a bunch of my friends, when we were young, living in Stoke on Trent, which you know, living through Thatcher's Britain and all that <laughs> AIDS and all that kind of stuff, you just didn't feel like there were many opportunities out there. So we all harboured big dreams of fame, celebrity, money. I want to be a filmmaker. I want to be an actor. I want to be in a band. We did all those things. Anything to take away from the kind of dreary nature of yeah. the, the reality of life around then. So when we, you know, when you watch movies and when you're an old man like I am, and you, know, you, saw the, you saw Star Wars as it happened, sat on the steps in the cinema, you think, oh, dear, this, I want some of that. I don't want to be a builder like my dad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sod that. So, really, I could say that probably the re... I mean, I was I was 50 when I made Mara, um, and that's probably due to some severe arrested development because even though my body grew older, my dreams and hopes <laughs> never did, and I still want to be, you know, successful filmmaker, um, fame, money, all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah. yeah, applause of the audience and all that. So, really... It's because that's what I wanted to do when I was like 18 and it never really changed. Yeah. So obviously eight, you wanted to do that since you were 18. You were 50 when you came, got your essentially big break with, with Mara. Yeah. What, um, what was the journey before that? Did you, um, did you try and write scripts and screenplays and get them sent in or was it just right, finding the right time for the right project or? It was, in the end, it's like anyone would tell you, there's, there's you know, 80% luck. Twenty um, percent perspiration and inspiration, mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. So hard work. The only thing I could say I could honestly brag about is that I persevered. Yeah. Past all the other people that wanted to do that, but then they didn't do it. You know, and yeah. and, and life comes along and does strange things to you. So, you know, life things mean okay. I, I've got time to do this now, whereas other people who are fifty, maybe they've got families and all the rest of it. So there's some stuff happening in life that helped me um, help me on. But it's yeah. How do I sum that? You know, that those thirty years, thirty-two years up in, in a quick nutshell. Yeah. Basically, 
And this is the advice I would give anybody really is, first of all, persevere, get ready for lots of rejection, but also create your your own luck by producing work, winning awards with it, learning the the craft. This is a craft that needs to be learned over time. Uh, There's no such thing as an overnight success, I don't believe. So I did uh, initially did short film. Did, I've done pretty much every little sort of bedroom job known in in the film. And I've done written music, directed, scripted, you name it, sound design. Done all those little jobs. Made three short films that that all did reasonably well in mm-hmm. terms of f- festival success and won won a couple of awards. Then the luck came in that the production company that was handling one of my shorts. Their kind of boss, a guy called Scott Mann, also directed a short. Uh, mine did better than his. I'm sure he won't <laughs> mind you telling me, telling him that. Um, and and since then, we kind of stuck together. He he was the right person at the right time because I've never met a more ambitious, yeah. driven person in my life, and I, do, I don't have that. Um, so he, before he was 30, he'd already raised $8 million to make his own first feature. Damn. Yeah, that's a, perfectly, <laughs> that's a pretty good job. Yeah, a pretty good job in there. So he, you know, he had Hollywood mainstream mm-hmm. dreams, and for for most of like people like me, they they are it's just a pipe dream. I'm just going to be making short films for a laugh while I earn a living. Then this guy gets in, gets it, cracks the door open to Hollywood and bigger, you know, bigger dreams if you like. Uh, then suddenly it's like, okay, I'm on board with this. So after a sort of number, few years of activity, making shorts and doing all the, all the kind of fun stuff that you do with that, because you kind of go from script to screen with them yeah. projects, then making the jump to feature, that's where it gets really gnarly. And then there's a big gap in my output then because you start writing a feature script um, and this is not not an easy task, you know, to get a feature script to the point where realistically people are going to say, I want to put millions of dollars into this. Yeah. This thing's got to be really watertight. So I would say it took, it was a good six or seven years of writing. Right. For the one script. Which was Mara. Which was Mara. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was originally called The Night Hag. So, so I know in the head you call me the writer. At best, I'm the co writer. Right. But um, there is really a proper writer on there as well, um, a guy called Jonathan Frank, um, who I'm still friends with, and we still write stuff together now. So, so yeah, yeah. it was a long, like I say, a long, slow rejection of filled. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yes, Journey yeah. of discovery. So, um, so obviously that's got to the big break essentially, which was which is Mara. But um, what was your first first director job? Do you remember that all the way back or? Well, yeah, I remember it all the way back because I, I started out doing sort of community films because uh, because it felt film-related, so working in schools and community groups. Mm-hmm. Then I dropped onto a, a teaching job where I was good at Photoshop and their Photoshop teacher left in a, in a rush. So I fell into that job and I was in a kind of... It was called the School of Computing, which is where this was back in the day where to do 3D animation, you needed to be a really good maths scientist. Things weren't easy if you weren't a kind of a boffin. But I caught it just as 
they were making complex algorithms into a little square that looks like a paintbrush and I could click that and I know what to do with that. So that's kind of where I started out. Then I thought, okay, I wanted, I've always wanted to direct. Animation seems to be where I can combine my music, visuals, photography, everything I enjoy doing, you can do in animation, a bit of music, like I say, a bit of music, a bit of visuals. So I worked with a woman at Teesside called Siobhan Fenton, who, who, who was a budding producer, wanted to be a producer, I wanted to be a director. We, she had an office, so it seemed like a natural thing. She raised some money and leaned on the university to chuck a bit of money in. So we made our, the first film was a short film, which was an animated, uh, ten minute animated thing called Emily and the Baba Yaga. Yeah, we could use recent graduates and talented students to be to to crew it. Um, yeah, and that was where my sort of that was my first short film. Yeah, well, it was Reese who sent me that last night, and I got time to watch it because it was only really Mara that I'd watched. Um, okay, obviously. Um, last year or so when, when it was on VOD you know one of those ones that came out so Reese was the one who sent me the, the Baby Yaga one and I would, like saw the date it was released and it was quite you know for just a project it looked really really slick um, was that something that you wanted to eventually turn into a feature or was that just something that came to came to your head and uh, it wasn't shit? intended as a feature uh, we weren't going to do any more with it but then when you get a bit of when you get your first taste of a bit of success, it really makes you drunk. It goes right <laughs> to your head. So I immediately went to Cannes the next year film festival with a bunch of filmmakers and filmmaker buddies, thinking, "Yeah, I've made it." You know, my film won an RTS award. It got shown in California, in in Hollywood, in mm -hmm. a cinema there. I thought, "I've made it. This is it." Wow, you know, I'll be you know they lay out the red carpet for me at Cannes. Um, and when I was t got some materials with me and DVDs to hand out, and there was interest there in turning it into a feature, but uh, what gets said at the end of the night in bars in Cannes, it, yeah, people don't remember anything the next yeah, morning, yeah. and you quickly realise, yeah, I'm I'm nobody here, <laughs> nobody's interested, no one's heard of me, you know, so yeah. It's a bit like music, that Reese, isn't it? I suppose, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> works it, very much the same. Yeah. In amongst all them years, there was like fifteen years of hardcore rock star dreams. Yeah. You know what I mean? I dropped the film stuff, so but maybe it's worth mentioning that because, yeah, I was convinced we we're going to make it. I signed a record deal, and then, then that fell through yeah. on the day of the showcase and all that. Uh, but what what I did get, but this is quickly what I realised with photography and video is, I'm not very technical, I'm not a very good photographer, but I had access to bands, and access is everything. Yeah. You know, a bad picture of Bob Dylan is better than a good picture of, you know, somebody from the local pub type of thing. So I could take bad pictures of semi-famous people, <laughs> um, and people would, you know, people would like that. And of course, the more you do something like that, yeah. the better, you do get better at it. Photography gradually worked into doing videos of watching them record albums and little promo-y things. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. So have you always been a, a fan of horror films? and, and Lifelong, yeah. yeah. Lifelong. From before I was 10, yeah. probably, yeah. Because I suppose the, the Baby Yaga shot is, it definitely has horror. I mean, the whole thing's quite quite sinister in the end. When it gets to the yeah, end. it is. It was too scary for my daughter. Right. <laughs> She's never watched it yet, actually. Oh, right. Oh. Yeah. Um, so has it always been the, the goal to be a, the, a horror director? Or were yeah. you... Were you looking into other genres, or was it just just horror? I've I I late more lately looked into other genres, so mm -hmm. I'd like to do something for the kids. 
Um, probably a horror movie for kids. Yeah. Um, and something heartwarming. You know, before I go, I want to leave something heartwarming yeah. instead of all death and destruction. <laughs> you know, uh, in a wake behind me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Um, let's see. So, um, so obviously, Mara. It centers around. Sleep demon, sleep paralysis. Have you suffered from sleep paralysis? Where did no. you get the idea from? Never, from, suffered, never suffered myself, but it was a sort of fascinating to see how many people really do on the Mara kind of journey, if you like, yeah. pitching to people. You know, there's one, I can't remember the name of the company, we pitched in Newcastle to a panel, mm-hmm. and the head of the panel suffered sleep paralysis. Which did the pitch wonders? Of course, do you know what yeah. I mean? Because she sat there saying, "I was scared the whole time." You were saying this, um, and we kind of found out that one of the things that reached out to make this project kind of interesting to you know beyond a good story or whatever was that this was a very common. It was a very common um, whatever. What do you call it? Syndrome or whatever. Yeah, like condition. But, yeah. yeah, condition. But no, nobody spoke about it. Nobody, because they'd think, oh, I'm going to t- you know, tell them that there's a skinny hag climbing up my bed. I th- people course. think I've gone nuts, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So this is what attracted some of the attention to it, was the fact that it had this reach-out potential that, you know, potentially 40% of the audience is going to go, oh, I recognise, I've had that, do you yeah. know what I mean? This is true, you know. And what appealed to us was that it is true, that if you go down any street and pick 10 houses, somebody in one of them 10 houses will have had sleep paralysis. Which it's is scary, yeah. Very, very common, yeah, yeah. yeah. And worldwide, you know. Yeah. So, it, you know, we did a lot of research, as in we went to a sleep clinic in Newcastle, spoke to a kind of professor in Canada, uh, and he said something that was quite interesting, that he, he was a hardcore sort of science guy mm-hmm. who'd spent his career looking at sleep paralysis and getting people to recount what had happened to them. And he said, so he basically said, if somebody, you know, if somebody in Carlisle sees a skinny hag climb up the bed and somebody in Mexico and somebody in Japan sees exactly the same thing, who am I to say that this is not supernatural? I can't explain yeah. that. <clears throat> uh, so it does have, it feels like it's ripe for a, a horror movie, it, the subject matters. Everyone's got it. It's ghostly and it's not ghost, it's real. And you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. it feels like it's inherently brilliant for a horror, uh, for a horror movie. So was the, the character of Mara, that's, that's based on a real legend. Is that right? It's based on a yeah, real legend? Yeah, it's based fiction. on... Based, every, every, all the scares and all the stuff that are in there are based on what we heard. Because what, what, what we... Are sort of not competitive, but the film that's could that people quote when they talk about sleep paralysis is Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, um, and of course we we're never going to compete with a with a kind of beast like that. That's a fantastic um, franchise, hugely successful. Uh, but we we didn't want to go that route. We wanted to kind of stick to the reality, if you like, uh, um, a bit more. Because I know that um, Wes Craven was inspired by sleep paralysis. That he'd, what he'd read about that. So we wanted to have a more real version yeah. of it, um, which kind of was part of the reason why it took so long to get it to get it right, to get the script right, because what Wes Craven did that was clever was he let the, he let the uh, the characters go into the dream world and Freddy could chase them down the corridor. Yeah, and and yeah. I mean, you could go back to like great horror movie sort of, uh, you know, ingredients. Whereas if we're dealing with the reality of it, one, the biggest problem 
as a director is how do you make paralysis cinematic? It's about, you know, it's as uncinematic as it's possible <laughs> to get because when you're in the worst height of terror, you're just laid on a bed totally still. Yes. So there was some... So working with the bands actually gave me some idea on that because I just remember we shot so many bands, I just remember thinking... If the band moves around a lot, keep the camera still. Mm -hmm. And if the band stands still, move the camera around a lot. So I started to try to devise ways to make the camera move, to make paralysis seem cinematic. Yeah. Well, I did a good, good, really good job on that, to be honest, because I say that the, person, that the people, when they die, are just lying still and they're yeah. moving their eyes. But even just that eye movement, that's what I really enjoyed, was the eye movement was the, the camera movement. Yeah, you know, so what we did was we, we fixed their eyes on screen. So if there's a handheld camera and you fix the eyes, the world bobbles around them, you know, <laughs> and it looks kind of odd and it looks kind of paralysed, really. Yeah. And we yeah. shot a lot of the paralysis stuff in, in tight shots, tight close-ups to keep it sort of, keep the camera paralysed, if you like, keep the audience paralysed. Yeah, well, it definitely, yeah. definitely worked. Uh, so you mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, yeah. And obviously... Wes Craven's idea was it came from a, a, re, a true story of people who had died in their sleep and then he just kind of went through there, which presumably was based on the sleep paralysis yeah. demon, I suppose. Um, there's quite a few nods to A Nightmare on Elm Street in the film, or at least I, you know, watching both, yeah. noticed a couple of nods. Was well, that... well, let, let, me, he, let me hear your nods, because they might be subconscious and they might be conscious. Maybe, like... yeah. So the yeah. first, so I would say the, the last scene... Uh, or the second to last scene where uh, Kate's in the hospital with the the little girl, and I think she thinks it's, it's like a false over. Yeah, uh, and then the Mara comes up from behind with the with yeah. the bedsheet, and I, I thought that was a bit of an homage to one of the last so, scenes uh, in Nightmare. Uh, and that's Street. subconscious, then could be. Yeah, so that was subconscious. I didn't do that. Didn't do that on, on purpose. purpose. Yeah, we re uh, we reference it in some of the dialogue. Yes, that was yes, very much on purpose funny. because. Want to acknowledge, you know, that Freddy Krueger's great, and we're fans of that, and it, we, we, you know, we come from the same seed, if you like. Yes, oh, yeah. That's a bit of a horrible reference, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so, I should have saw that. I was like, oh, I wonder if that's a, a little tribute, but maybe it's not. And the other one was the bath, the bath scene, because it's, it's totally different in its in its own yeah. way. But it both involves two of the, the heroines in the film. So that that yeah, that's subconscious again. Yeah, yeah. I think that came about because one iteration of the script was we kind of said, well, sleep paralysis happens when you sleep and you sleep when you're in bed. So it's just bed, 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 bed. Yeah. And one of the notes came back from the from producers was, can you give us some more variety of, you know, more attack? So a bath, probably the bath scene, any bath scene in a horror mm -hmm. movie is there because that's when you're at your most vulnerable. Yeah. So that's the best time to... Chuck the lions in. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. So you got the the biggest drama going. You know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, just that. Was, that's his. I don't know whether they were nods or tributes or but yeah, subconscious. Yeah, well, I've it's watched. I've watched Nightmare on Elm Street. So yeah, maybe it's in there. In yeah. the, like I say, my brain's a bit addled, so <laughs> my memories are not in my control anymore. So whatever bubbles up, bubbles up. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. Could, yeah. You never know. Uh, so what was the the process from obviously writing the script? to eventually getting on set and, and filming. Was that a long process or did you, is it a li almost, a, I suppose, a lifelong thing or did you manage to get something no, so signed up fairly, fairly well? It, it, it's sort of, it's sort of slow, slow, quick, quick, slow. It's kind of, it goes like that. So the script and development took 
took by far the longest time. Like I say, seven years, maybe more, I'd have to go back and check, but it's at least seven years mm -hmm. of developing. Then, so that's the first hurdle out of the way. Second hurdle, it was me. I was the big problem then because I'm unknown. An unknown first-time director. Why would anybody put a significant amount of money mm -hmm. towards a project? You know, when we know four guys over here who've all shot horror film movies before. Yeah. So luckily, the producer I was talking about, Scott, stuck with me by mm -hmm. through that. We could he could have easily sold that script a number of times and got it made by somebody else, but but he didn't. He sort of appreciated the legwork we'd done and with the fact we developed it together over those all those years. Um, so then. The next big hurdle in any in any project it comes to casting, mm -hmm. uh, and which that, this this has a massive cast really for yeah for the style of film yeah that but is, that's yeah. like that bumpy road of casting is measured, probably measured in two or two or three years you know I've t I took a year off work and then it fell through mm -hmm. came back to work and then took another year off and it happened so casting you know. We got let down a couple of times at kind of the eleventh hour. It was almost like there were people on set waiting, and then the cast dropped out, and right. you got to recast and all. And recasting is a long, sort of long process because you know if you've got a script and it, and it's it was well liked. Uh, one of the shocking things I found when I went over to Hollywood to for tab meetings was the the amount of good scripts there is is minimal. They're desperate for good work, so. Even though I kind of railed against it for those seven years, saying, can we just get on and shoot? Gladly, somebody knew what they were doing, and yeah. this has got to be watertight before you present it. Because you get one chance to present it. If they don't like it, it's game over. You've got to go somewhere else. So I, I can't remember what was answering that. That's... Just the process, yeah. The so, yeah, process. So, so then, so oh, yeah, casting. So we went over there. Did some I sat down to dinner with a few people here and there, and people agreed on the phone and then disagreed later, and it was sort of really um, roller coaster, mm -hmm. emotional roller coaster ups, and you know, a very few highs, but they seemed to be worth <laughs> it for the incredibly long yeah. lows. Um, but then, when when somebody like Olga kind of finally signs on and we, we sort of danced with Olga a bit here and there mm -hmm. and tried it and failed and tried it and failed and then tried it and, and succeeded mm -hmm. then everything moves suddenly goes at rocket speed because obviously there's an urgency to it we don't want the diaries to slip we don't want to lose an hour let's get yeah. it in then she comes you know uh, you know depending on their stature she has a certain stature in the industry which then will dictate the, the budget she can support the budget level she can mm -hmm. support so it was it was two two point seven yeah. million something like that. Well, I was going to ask you about the budget briefly because there's so many horror films now. I mean, this although you have the bigger budgets that uh, people like Jordan Peele seem to be attracting, and um, oh, I can't remember his name. He did Midsummer and Hereditary. Those are you know Ari yes, yeah, you know relatively bigger budget films. But there are, and Rob Zombie, he's making movies for way less than a million dollars. The Terrifier movies are getting made for less than half a million dollars. So as a director, like a, making your debut feature, to have like, I presume a contract that says $2.7 million, here you go. What does that, like, what's that feel well, like? Well, again, <laughs> it's another one of them false moments where you think, I've made it, yeah. I've made it, but I haven't made it. I'm struggling, you know, it's still a struggle to get your next film going. So it's, um, you know, it's an ongoing struggle. But I, I do appreciate and I do re fully realise how fortunate I am and mm -hmm. privileged and, um, you know, this, 
there's many people I would need to thank for get. It wasn't just my graft; it was the graft and the faith of other people that sort of helped helped me to get here. But yeah, I I think probably having a strong vision for it, a strong idea of what you want, getting that down on paper. Uh, I feel like you can't hold a good idea down mm-hmm. if it's genuinely good. It will get made. Uh, that's my feeling. With with you know with a healthy dose of luck. Yeah. So what you need to address in your script, and this is kind of some of the lessons I learned along the way, is I've got to write something here that, you know, that Tom Cruise would want to be in it. I really like that. I want to be in there. Because <laughs> writing a script, it's just, if you're professional or whatever, it's a bit of paper with typing on. So you should be able to put those words in an order that makes it, you know, yeah. as good as a professional. But it just takes time to do. So it's activate. It's called. So you right. want them to go. You want them to, to have a big transformation across the film, a big change in their character, because actors and audiences love to see that. They want to see ca- characters change, and they want us to see. You know what happens if he throws a weak character into the lion's den? How the hell they're going to get out of there? Yeah. Um, and we, and that's what we love, and that's what we you know that's what we ended up writing in the character of Kate was somebody that's going to be attractive to actors to want to play it and once the actors come in uh, if you've got good cast then the the rest will surely follow you know yeah well because the character of kate she she essentially starts off an incredibly sane lady <laughs> who comes yeah. in you know she's just doing her job she's quite happy and then you see throughout the the film she progressively gets yeah progressively loses it really and and uh is it's all based what well, i presume on guilt like her guilt yeah the, the stronger her guilt is the more yeah, so stronger Mara is. Yeah, we we had to get round all these kind of. I mean, it's not a documentary, no. so it isn't reality. <laughs> but we steered it as close to reality and the stories we heard as we could. Um, but you have to have things like we had to have the eye pop. Mm-hmm. We needed something visual that said, "I'm I'm on the way to getting killed here," um, and so things like that. Uh, what else was all good? Can you repeat the question again? I've, gone, I've lost my thread. So it was... Oh, I forgot myself now, actually. <laughs> it was... Old uh, men doing podcasts. Know, saying, God, yeah. it, yeah. Sleep deprived <laughs> versus old age. Um, oh, God, what was that? What was the question, Reese? Do you remember now? After I just said it. was it? something I was telling you... Sorry? Yeah, oh, the arc of Kate. It was like the so she started off, and then it was all yeah. about the guilt. and yeah, so, Yes, guilt, that was yeah. it. So but, we had to invent yeah. guilt that um, because... It, you need to have probably need to have rules in a lot in a lot of horror movies. Yes. Um, and sleep paralysis. The reality, there's no rules. You could go home tonight and get it. That's about it. Especially now you're sleep deprived. That's it. You're a, yeah. <laughs> you're in the red zone now. You know. Oh, I know. Well, I was thinking like when I was watching the film and uh, watched it uh, about two or three times now. I mean, Mrs. was saying last night about the eyes. You know, like the later on in the film, you get Dougie and uh, Kate. Their eyes are like. Bloodshot. Yeah, like, that's how that's how we feel at three o'clock in the morning when we wake yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, were you quite? I take it you were quite. Uh, I suppose really happy with how the makeup went because even just watching that film makes me go. I can feel their pain, like how red and sore their eyes yeah. are. Yeah, the idea is that it's so much pressure that something pops and it's a blood vessel in your eyeball because that's good and painful, like you say. We had quick and then to a guy cutting off his eyelids and that's gross. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you got you put one of them and you think, oh, if I watch it, if I watch a screen, you know, that's where I'm looking at the audience thinking yes, how they're going to react yeah. to this. But yeah, the guilt, the guilt, the eye popping, 
and the idea that Kate is the central character. So she kind of rattles around. There's two characters who kind of she interacts with a lot. One is Dougie, mm -hmm. the crazed guy who says it's a monster, and one is Dr. Ellis who says, listen, it's science, it's nothing, don't worry. And at the start, she's a science, then she's in the middle, but then she knows yeah. Dougie's right. Yeah. So did you ever feel like maybe giving Kate the happy ending that was teased, or was it just always going to be, yeah, the you're, you're, you're stuck in there, there's no recovery, this is the... The ending was subject to controversy. Oh, Let's right. say that with, with, some of the ex, with some of the execs that we were talking with. Um, they thought uh, they wanted a franchise. They always they always want to explore franchise mm -hmm. potential, sequel potential, all, all that kind yeah. of thing. So we spent six or seven years building up to this ending where it was bleak. She dies. It's game over. Um, the franchise is Mara, mm -hmm. but because Olga, we'd got a good decent star attracted to it, they thought that she might be useful in a, in a franchise situation or whatever you want to call it so uh, yeah the end if you go online and look at the comments that's where i get killed is oh, about, really? the, about the end. oh my god yeah i actually thought the, the ending was pretty awesome because I mean, it got to the point you know where it was a very um have you seen the film 1408 with john cusack many years ago yeah, yeah. It, that for me there's a scene in there and you think it's the end and you think he's happy uh, and he's in the post office like posting like his book out and it's one of my favorite scenes in horror yeah. where he slowly realizes that he's not even left the bedroom of the hotel, yeah, and okay. the walls start changing, and then eventually he ends up back in the hotel. And it was kind of a bit reminiscent of that, where you think, "Oh, she's got a happy ending." Oh, and then she's defeated the well, demon. Well, that, that was the hope then, that we had. But I, I think what had happened is probably it took so long to get it written, to get it done, and get it finally mm -hmm. out there that what seemed new way back then had uh -huh. probably almost become cliché by the time it got released. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. um, the ring, Ringu, Japanese ring, was a big yeah. sort of a big favourite of mine and I, I loved the, the false ending to, to that. So that's what we wanted, that in the structure. And we wanted to be able to show Mara in all its glory mm -hmm. as the very last thing you see in the when you come out of the cinema. So we got, we got that, yeah. that bit right. Um, the trouble is they, they suddenly put clips and trailers online and it's all revealed anyway so it kind of takes away from all that um, yeah. yeah so it was pretty but it was fairly left open ended because she technically didn't die even though it was implied at the end that yeah she technically got, not she got caught so is was there a, a plan for a sequel or is that something that's very in the, the works I, th I think a sequel would have happened if the film took off better uh -huh. you know it didn't exactly light the world up which I'm you know I'm, I'm quite happy about it did, got theatrical in most territories ex not in the UK which Ooh. pissed me right off because <laughs> none, none of my friends and family have yeah. seen it you know on the, at the theatre um, the original I mean we shot we had a we had a dummy made of Olga's dead and twisted body that's twisted up under a bed so we, we shot the death scene yeah. uh, and we shot the ambiguous scene which is where we're at now and I, I think maybe it would have been it might have been more satisfying to audiences to clearly say she died or she lived yeah do you know what i mean but if they're thinking about franchise and often these decisions are not down just to the director mm -hmm. there's you know if you've put two and a half million dollars into my film you, you get a say, get say you, of course yeah. you do it's, it's your property as well you know well the same thing happened on on Nightmare on Elm Street, the exact same thing happened where uh, I was watching, is it the Never Sleep Again documentary? And yeah. um, 
Wes Craven's ending was just she beats him and that was it. And then uh, the studio made him rewrite the ending to do the whole pulling through the door scene. Yeah, yeah. And then that spawned the sequel, which Wes Craven had nothing to do with, and they owned yeah, the and so he'll be coining it, it in, you know. I bet he's, I bet he's happy as Larry, really. Oh, they, definitely. They, because they, they know, they know about money. Yes. I don't know about money. I just want to make scary films. You know what I mean? But they'll say, well, if you want to make scary films that are going to get the budget back, which is this got to do? It's a, it's a commercial project. It's yeah. not an art project. Then no, it's got yeah, to hit certain. It's, it's got to hurt, hit certain beats. You know. Yeah. I don't mind an ending that leaves things open and it makes you think, you know, you could have one way or the other. I don't mind those kind of endings. I actually sometimes, depending on the story in the film, I usually sometimes prefer just let me make my own. Yeah, I think it's how how you handle it. Uh, how, how they handle it in the writing. Yeah. I think a skilled writer can make an ambiguous ending work, whereas an unskilled one, you just feel like the film just stopped and you're unsatisfied. Mm. So I, I don't know how mine fit into that. Well, a lot, quite well, because there was a film that came out on Netflix this year. Was it Wounds? Have you seen it, Wounds? Wounds. Uh, it, it, it came out in like a period where they were releasing, they seemed to be releasing horror movies really often. They did like In the Tall Grass, uh, the, the, what's it called? The Hole in the Back back of the yard there was quite the a hole few in the hole in the ground hole in the ground yeah, sorry yeah. yeah hole in the backyard hole in the ground that was the one <laughs> there's not a very good name for a horror movie no, no. hole in the backyard <laughs> but it's more like a dad job yeah that, isn't exactly it? Yeah. yeah someone dig that up please yeah. um, but then they released this one as well Wounds. so we went through like a, a phase of like in one week there was about five films released yeah. and they all had quite either open ended but satisfying endings yeah okay and this one just seemed to end like bang and I was like so that, like, at least with Mara there was an element of it was explained the whole story was explained yeah i can definitely explain it to you logically yeah. you know why she survived but i don't think audiences caught it vis viscerally you know right. while they were sat there um but yeah the internet's brutal once yeah. it's out there it's <laughs> frigging brutal you know yeah. well this is one of the reasons why i've put off doing a podcast for so long because i'm quite although i do a lot of no, i'm a, a professional wrestling ring announcer like <laughs> right. stand in front of like 500 people and talk and and do this and seem relatively confident like i like hate the internet, like reading comments on the internet, man. It's brutal. Yeah. You know, it, I shit myself every time I put something online. But you know, it's just don't you get used to that. I'm yeah, quite, I, I'm quite, to, uh, I quite enjoy the negative bullshit <laughs> now. You know what I mean? It's like how bad can they get? Yeah. You're an effing gay. Why, why well, am I gay? Because I made a horror movie. Well, I feel like if someone hates you enough to comment, you're probably doing something right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. rather than it tell just... yourself it's envy. Yeah. And then it could it's, you could turn it around. Yeah, you know exactly. Um, yeah. You never know. So. Um, so just going on to that that last scene with Mara, and yeah. I think it might have been in a few scenes as well. But apparently, the the Mara monster was a puppet. No, was that, wasn't a puppet. No, never, never, never a puppet. A puppet. That's a guy. All, that's a guy. It's a guy in this. All oh, right, that's a guy. Yeah. Is it not part puppetry? Part no, puppetry. No puppetry. The whole thing. Was Zero percent puppetry. Right. All right. Yeah. Was what that... makes you think that? Okay. This this is going to be inherently bad on a podcast because it's non-visual. Yeah. But I'll try and explain it, um, and then maybe you can, maybe we'll have to go back and re-explain. <laughs> so to so to get the to get the, so the guy the tall skinny guy is an actor called Javier Botet. Right, he's fan, fantastic guy. Was straight away I want this guy in. Have you seen Wreck? No, Spanish film. No, or watch that one. But I will give it, give it a list. Give watch that. It's a cracking top ten horror film for me. Right, uh, of all yeah. time. He's a skinny hag in that. Mama, I've seen Mama. He's, yes, he's Mama. He's the the leper in it. He's made a career oh, okay. out of. He's yeah. got he's got a syndrome which makes his body tall and skinny, and he's basically used that to get 
to form a career. So he's in, been in Alien, Covenant. He's he's in a ton of movies, over a hundred movies, I think, playing skinny monsters. Right. Um, uh, but this, you know, I mean, this this kind of thing that he's got, he's not he, he's not strong. He can't work for long uh, periods of time. Uh, and we wanted something, we want his movement to f- feel a bit unnatural. Mm-hmm. So we had to have a rig built. So it was almost like he was a human puppet. It could support him, support right. his weight off the ground. He could lean really far forward beyond sort of gravity. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and we had two guys that we tied two sort of bracelets on his wrists, mm-hmm. which were attached to wires. So if he's pulling his, he's putting his arms out, there's a couple of guys just going like this, and it sort of goes like this. Yeah, yeah. It makes his arms wobbly, <clears throat> so it probably appears a bit like a puppet. Yeah, he's like a human it, puppet. But yeah, a human <laughs> puppet. But but mainly, it's all the rigging and all the the wire stuff was there to enhance his performance, mm-hmm. not to, you know, make him walk yeah. different or do anything different. I mean, he levitated, so that obviously we lifted him up then. Yeah. But yeah. it was all practical. All practical, yeah. The only only digital stuff we did, which I did here, was uh, removing wires. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, you would have to do anyway. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, there's yeah. no no uh, no VFX no, on no. Mars or anything like that. Nothing. The, the VFX were eyeballs yeah. and things like that. But yeah, he was a hundred percent. I I was really wanted to capture his performance r- raw yeah which is why that end shot is just a, almost like a single thing where he just walks towards the camera you know right yeah um in all his yeah. glory i'm a big big fan of practical effects especially in a modern day where i feel like horror movies more well, slasher kind of bloody gory films just take that whole cgi route um yeah. rather than just practical effects but something missing isn't there it? is yeah, it's too perfect yeah. or something you know and i feel like that's why people still have that huge affection for the 80s because yeah it's all practical there's no cgi it's all you know yeah and if you watch a cgi person get beat up and you know yeah slashed you know I, i'm a huge fan of ufc <laughs> when you see somebody get injured in ufc and it's it may only be a small cut but there's a lot of blood yeah at the end of that fight, that's how a horror movie should look. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's random and splattery and real. Do you yes, know what I mean? You can yeah, sort yeah. of smell the blood kind of thing. Whereas with CG blood, I just it just no, never appears no. like that. And it looks super fake, especially the ones where they do the say a slash of the throat and it goes on the camera, and you can tell it's just like yeah. you can tell it's not like it sort of you sw- switches off. You switch off, don't you? You do. Sort of, yeah, yeah. It pops you out. I understand for much lower budget, it, it's maybe a necessity, um, but yeah. yeah, it's yeah, it's it's. But you know, is it a necessity or is it just a convenience? A, a, a bucket of face blood. Yeah, cost less than a tenner. Yeah, you know? well, it's probably yeah, probably. I don't know. Like, it would probably cost more money to do in the post production. Yeah, it certainly co- it certainly cost more time. Yeah, I mean, it won't be as messy and all that kind of thing. But I'm a huge believer in let's get it done as much as we can on on the set. Yeah, let's get it all done there because five minutes extra work on the set could save you hours and hundreds of pounds in post production. Yeah. Um, and I think if actors, you know, if I if I splat blood on you, then I'm going to be able to see where that blood yeah. is and look at it. I'm not imagining it went on your knee kind of thing. No, I, no, no. I, So my reactions are real, you know, yeah. so it makes everything better, I think. Well, I think from an actor, I mean, I'm not an actor, but if I was an actor in a horror movie and someone said, oh, yeah, we're going to, you know, cut you open or do something like that, but it's not really going to happen. It's just going to be done in post. I'd be like, oh, 
See, if I was in like a, a slasher film, I'd be like, cover me. You know, yeah, exactly, how often yeah. are you going to be in these type of films and you want to you know, make the most of it? Yeah, know? and it always works better practical. Yeah. It always does. Have you seen Annihilation, a film called Annihilation? No, I don't think I have, no. There's a but great, spoiler alert, minor spoiler alert, there's a great practical scene there where they cut a guy's stomach open. Yeah. It's gross. Yeah. But that would never have worked in no. post. Never. That's why I'm a big fan of the Terrifier film that was made. Uh, I don't know that budget. one, actually. It's, um, there's only about five people in the film. I think it was made for like $200,000 or less. Just okay, as a, so it's all it's true. It's like uh, GoFundMe. And it was, it's, it's got this character called Art the Clown. They're making a Terrifier too because this one was so popular. And I think this one's obviously got a bit more of a bigger budget. But okay. yeah, everything's practical in it. And I was just like... You know, I think that's why people uh, have yeah. a big straight away fans will go to, to that, it, won't yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, and the thing, the thing, you know, you look at the thing, and then the sequel to the thing, yeah, um, and it's just it's not, not the same, same is it? No, Even no. though the other ones, many years, you know, back in the seventies or whatever. Well, that's it. There's always anything from say '94 and before '94 and earlier. I always have a big affection of because it's yeah. just it's it looks just way better and real. But uh, was that a big factor for you when you when you went into like negotiations for the film that you did? Is that just something that you have free will with, or was it just... Uh, it was something I insisted yeah. on from the start. I, I, I guess at the time I was doing the animation stuff, mm -hmm. I was doing a lot of VFX work. So uh, uh, nothing high level, but mm -hmm. lots of astrofet, adding weather and adding bits of stuff to um, various films. Mm -hmm. uh, and I knew uh, it doesn't... You know what I mean? Yes, if I had squirted yeah, yeah. a fake blood bottle from, you know, two quid from the joke shop, it would have looked better than anything I can do on After Effects. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I just and all the films I like, they're not CGI monsters. A CGI no. monster to me is just not scary. End no. of you. Know? It does. It does make it look look poor. Well, look at the Justice League movies. Like this, everything just CGI. People don't like it. And then you yeah, make there's like, no as weight to it. Joker. No, it's just yeah. Who? Oh right. I've only seen it the one time. We nearly had Gal Gadot actually at one point. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, oh, yeah well, I right. think the two of them were going up for Wonder Woman, and then. And then you, yeah. Yeah, oh, and then we. That's a good fight to have though for your main uh, character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Gal Gadot or Olga Kurylenko. Yeah. yeah. Don't I feel lucky? <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you're based here in Cumbria now, or yeah. based in England anyway yeah. as a whole, but the film's set in. America, like so, yeah. was that again? Was that just something that for the for the script and your idea, or was it just yeah, a necessity well, for the production company? Or? It was probably a necessity for the. It was a necessity for where the money was coming from, right? So commercial mainstream horror movies don't, you know, the BFI and the Film Council yeah. don't really fund that kind of movie. They want something with a bit more message to it or something. Uh -huh. If you want the hardcore mainstream, get, go to America. There's money. The people who know how to make this into a product that's going to make money and get seen by lots of people. So I had the, the overcoming the, hey, you know, I'm, a, I'm an artist or whatever. <laughs> um, but quickly realised, yeah, that if you want to carry on, if you want a career, yeah. you've got to make a film, you know, make a film for X amount of money and make sure it makes X times two amount of money and then you're probably going to get another another shot at it. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, originally it was set in the UK, but very early on they said, "Can you set this in in, in America? We've got a much better chance of getting budgets and all that kind of thing." So yeah. yeah, it's just harder to raise money here for that type of film, I think. I think it, yeah, I don't know. Weirdly, subconsciously, has a more like a, I don't know if it'll sound bad, but more of a it has a bigger 
movie feel being in America. I feel like yeah, yeah if it, if you know like this the, fir- the in the very first scene was a street the American street yeah. at night and you know very recognizable American houses was if that had just been in a a random street in England you'd be like oh it's yeah not, I know. think I think but probably because the movies it was as far as I was concerned in Stoke was you know I'm watching American movies all the time yes yeah, it yeah, feels yeah. like cinema land do you know what I mean whereas if I'd shot around the back streets of Stoke it, it wouldn't hold the same appeal to me I'd always want to go to somewhere more exotic yeah. Although having said that, it was originally meant to be set in a grim, dark, grey, rainy place, which was where, you know, I think horror thrives best. Yeah. But because of this and that reason and tax breaks, we end up shooting in Savannah, Georgia, which is like blistering heat <laughs> um, straight away. So already you sort of your dreams get cut, get eaten into and dented, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, Georgia, yeah. that's the home of the Walking Dead, so that's a, yeah. a horror... But I get I would I would put my house on that. That's the home of the Walking Dead because that's where the tax breaks were when they, right. when they were filming it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh well, there you go. Um, so, do you have like a, a favorite horror movie that you had when you were growing up, or is it still? Do you still have the same favorite horror movie to this day? No, I, I still like modern horrors. So, mm-hmm. I like Ari Aster's stuff. Yeah. Really liked. Um, really liked Hereditary, and really liked what was the one after Midsummer. Midsummer. Yeah. yeah. Very just yeah, there's something yeah. different. Uh, you know, I've I've seen so many. I mean, you know, as your horror fan, yeah. it's like ninety nine percent is like, God, why am I watching this? <laughs> but when you get when you find one that sticks out, yeah. you're like, oh yeah, this means something. So yeah, my I guess my favorite horror movies don't venture very far outside of what constantly comes up on the internet as the best horror movies. Yeah, you know, it's when I think about. If you ask me what film scared me the most, it's an easy answer, and that was Paranormal Activity. Oh, really? Don't know why. Don't know why. My sister watched it and said, it was rubbish, the curtain moved. <laughs> For me, it was two weeks of yeah. hell, absolute two weeks of hell. I could not sleep. I was one of them people that it affected for two, two yeah. weeks. Um, really freaked me yeah. out. There's yeah. not many horror films that genuinely scare me. You know, you kind of come a bit desensitised to it. I think any slasher film... I don't find scary. I just find them really fun to watch. But yeah, paranormal activity like my it was Lucy who got me into those ones because she prefers like the supernatural ones to yeah. the slasher ones. So I prefer like the slasher ones to to those ones. And um, yeah, I was kind of on the same level where it does look real. Like it feels like it's got very real factor yeah, to it. Yeah, and they, they did lots of subtle things that felt new at the time. So yeah. holding that shot of them in the bed. I thought I was, that was where I got scared. Yeah. And, and I was thinking, where am I supposed to look here? Nothing's happening. I'm, I'm not comfortable. Please, please come out, monster. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And underneath that, they had that really subtle, like, deep bass rumble. Yes, yeah. Which kind of, because we weren't used to, or I wasn't used to as an audience member back then, that, that made my heart rate faster. And we were in a bad i would say a bad screening in uh, from the fact that there was just down the road from us there were three kind of teenage girls oh. terrified so one of them was sort of down head in yeah. her mate's lap hands like this and just kept shouting what's he doing now <laughs> what's he doing now so it kept taking you out of the film and yet it's still frightening the hell out yeah. of me yeah there's definitely a uh... A lot of uh, of those films that are pushing the boundaries now. I feel like Paranormal Activity started it. Insidious, I feel, took it a little bit further. Yeah. And now Ari Aster, he's taken it even further yeah. to the point where now I think he's took it so far 
off the spectrum that I don't think he, I think he's saying he's not going to make any more horror yeah. films, which is a massive shame because those two were like definitely two of the scariest I've probably yeah, ever seen. Yeah, in modern horror, yeah. you, you've got to mention his name, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'd heard about Hereditary and then started watching it. I was just like, oh, well, give this a whirl. And then I, I, to the end, I was like, oh, my God. Like, it took me... I'm still thinking about it. Like that it's, last it's a grim watch, it's isn't been, it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, but I, I think I remember seeing the opening. So it opened on a funeral, didn't it? Then she goes yes. up into a room. And then there's that weird image of a grandma or a mum stood, yes, stood yeah. there. And after I saw that, the way they shot that and the way they did that, I thought, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in here. Yeah, I'm in, yeah. You know what I mean? I'm, it's going to be a good ride, this. It was just the, um, the last scene. Was it the second or the second to last scene? We kind of had that Mary Poppins moment at the end, which takes yeah, me a bit out of it. But it was then, a bit bizarre, wasn't it? Yeah, that? yeah. But before that, I was like, when the, the spoiler alert, you know, if you haven't seen it, I'm sure everyone's seen it, but when the mum's hanging herself in the bedroom and going, cutting yeah, her head off at the same yeah. time, I was like, I was like, this is too much for me. And I can yeah. handle a lot yeah. of stuff, but I was like, this is, this is but too But it's much great for to me. see that in a kind of mainstream yeah, horror and, movie. And do you to know what get mean? Um, critically acclaimed yeah. is another thing because, you know, a lot of critics would slam, you know, 10 years ago, well, I don't feel, I think 10 years ago, people wouldn't have been smart enough to make a film like that. Whereas now, people are just, people want that arty, drawn out, yeah. almost shining style movie which yeah it's good to see it's a sophisticated start. horror isn't it, it yeah, feels more yeah. sophisticated it, it, it's always I, I know that most of my life horror has been like the joke genre yeah do you know what I mean and you get sort of laughed at as it's not serious film and horror is never going to win an Oscar and all that kind of thing now uh, maybe because we live in such a horrific world right Probably, now yeah. horror is a good way to to deal with some of this yeah, some of the shite yeah. that's coming at us well Candyman will be doing that in October I think Jordan Peele's going to have an I think he's going to do an awesome job with the Candyman. Have you seen the trailer? Yes, looks great, yeah. doesn't it? Looks yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I still don't know if Tony Todd's doing the Candyman. Like they say, he is like on Wikipedia and is IMDb. It, I, I know he's in it, but I don't but, know if yeah. he's doing the Candyman. So I don't know if he's going to pass the torch on to someone, which might work. Yeah, uh, has been passed on. Has, has been passed on. Is yeah. he just playing a character? Is he? Yeah, he's just he's playing something else now. Yeah, because it's a direct sequel to the first one. But I feel like Jordan Peele, you know, with what he's done, he's another one. You know, very clever. Yeah, very clever. Films. Because he's done horror films with social commentary. Yes, there's yeah, more yeah. to it than just let's let's get a bloke in a mask and chase chase these topless women around, you know. Yeah, <laughs> which feels so outdated now, doesn't it? Does, it? All, yeah. It's ridiculous, you know. I think that's why the big remakes haven't worked. Like the, as apart from, you know, when Jackie Earl Haley did Freddy, but the Friday remake, Rob Zombie's take on Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street remake, Child's Play, you know, it was kind of different. But those films. I feel like the the set in a time when everyone that's what people wanted. Yeah. Whereas now people want to be challenged. So I yeah, feel like and people I, and I like, think yes. you can only challenge people with new material. Yeah. We don't need rehashing the old one. Freddy Krueger was a great first time round. Why yeah. why remake that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you start to sort of think, oh, I'm just seeing money people making decisions yeah. here. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. If they if they want me to direct Freddy Nine or whatever it is, <laughs> I'll be more than happy to do yeah, that. Yeah. But I'd rather self-generate. Really, that's where the real fun. That's where, the, that's where the real fun's yeah. at. I think. I yeah. think Rob Zombie said that. He said in an interview that he would love. He would much prefer to do his original stuff. But I'm here making a Halloween remake. So yeah. There's worse franchises to be handed. You know? oh, de yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you learn a lot from that. And he's got a clear voice, hasn't he? You, yes, you kind yeah. of know what you're getting with Rob Zombie. Yes. Yeah. And and to put Halloween through that filter, that that becomes a bit interesting, doesn't yes, it? You yeah. Know? I always feel like the Texas Chainsaw should go through the Rob Zombie filter. 
I'll say in that yeah, last that, week. That would podcast. be some that would yeah. be some film, wouldn't it? He's all he's just I think he's out of idea. I love Rob Zombie, don't get me wrong. Love him. And I love his I love the Halloweens, I love House of Thousand Corpses, love the Devil's Rejects, but 31 was okay, but has Lords of Salem, Three from Hell, didn't need to be made. It's just give him something. I've not seen Three from Hell. I saw Lords of Salem, which is bizarre, isn't yes, it? Yeah, like I'm, a weird. I mean, I like Sherry Moon, but she doesn't have to be in all of his films. <laughs> He's married to her, she I does. Well, she yeah. absolutely does. <laughs> Otherwise, he might be, you know, his suitcase will be on the step. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm a bit out of work today, Rob. Oh, well, yeah. I'll just make a film for you as we say. Yeah. We'll just. Uh, but yeah, I feel like that's the that's the franchise now for him. Just just give him that. Put the Rob Zombie filter in. Be perfect. But yeah, yeah. Oh, Hellraiser, yes, yeah. Well, because I, I thought somebody else was making Hellraiser, or am I mistaken? Yeah, I think somebody, and I'm sure somebody good as well. Is isn't Doug it? Bradley gonna be doing Pinhead again? I'm sure. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I think it is getting a, a reboot, like a soft reboot from, like maybe a sequel from the original. But yeah, it's gone so far. Like, so I actually prefer some other. Hellraiser director DVD ones to the original ones, like Inferno. No, I've not seen them. One. Yeah, I'm not yeah, seen, yeah, I think I've seen one and two, but when they came out, I haven't seen them since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a good. It's good. I mean, the last two haven't been great, and Hellworld wasn't great. But apart from that, yeah, they're really. I, I would have thought actually the era of torture porn would have been served Hellraiser well, wouldn't it? Yes, that would have yeah, been the yeah. time to release that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's kind of gone now, hasn't it? Like the collector yeah. and the collection was like, yeah, the really torture porn. Martyrs. Did you see a French one called Martyrs? No, no, watch that one. Yeah, uh, top five horror movie. All oh, right, French film called Martyrs. Oof, that is some, Check that, out. that is some yeah. film, yeah, because they're all kind of finished now. Hostel, although there's a new saw coming out this year, so yeah, Chris Rock's doing it, so Chris Rock's and be... Samuel L. Jackson, right? So that might be all right, yeah. Right, so that might be that might be decent. Yeah, you yeah, never know. Maybe bring torture porn, torture porn back <laughs> to the masses. <laughs> so just on that kind, just as a off the top of my head question, then, if you could be handed any franchise to do a oh remake God, okay. or a re- or a, or a, a reboot or just do your own spin on it, which what would you what would you choose? I probably wouldn't. This is going to be. Here. I'm going to tell you everything that I wouldn't do, which hopefully will. Leak. I don't have to answer <laughs> your question immediately. I don't think I would want to do torture porn. No. I, I do like the craft of setting up a scare. I like tension. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that type of thing. So if I did a reboot, oh, can we come back to this? Yes, yeah, Because yeah. you're going to have like te- t- 20 minutes of silence and just an old man going, oh, f- oh God. <laughs> no, uh, so, yeah, really tough question to answer. Yeah. That. Really, There'll be a really tough one tough. at the end, actually. I've got oh, a, God, here I, we go. Then. I wrote an icebreaker question at the end, but that's kind of two icebreaker questions at the very end, yeah. Um, so, um, obviously, after the success of, of Mara and everything, you've kind of got a bit of a name out there. Do you have any more projects or any films yeah, coming up? Yeah, absolutely. Up so, one of the big positives to come out of Mara is that I've now got a manager who's, who's in Hollywood. So, I was just speak with him regularly. He's bringing projects to me and I've got another bizarrely Mara wasn't again it's a complicated thing but it felt like at some point Mara was too big a film for a first time director I kept thinking I'm getting negative vibes from the money people right? because it's a big project lots of moving around lots of location changes lots of complicated stuff that's not you know probably not great for a first time director so whilst that was all going on in the background I kind of wrote and um, co-wrote with the same writer my first movie. I thought, uh, we'll use this one, <laughs> and when the success or failure of that will lead to the success or failure of, of Mara, which would be a big, mm-hmm. which would have been a more logical way to do it. So 
but I really I love this fell in love with the script I want to do it um, and it's a contained thriller called Flota it's kind of slasher-esque <laughs> film so I am going back to that yeah 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 um, Lots of tension one. That, that's potentially one. Uh, I, I'm going to keep saying potentially because um, I don't want to jinx any of this. And then there's another one which is set in, in the 1700s uh, in America. And it's a kind of... I said, what am I allowed to... What, what am I gonna, <laughs> yeah. If I say too much, yes, I'll, I'll start yeah. hoping your podcast isn't popular. Yeah. <laughs> just in case the wrong people hear it. It's basically about a, gr- a group of... Village, a village who've been ran out of their village. They find an abandoned settlement, which could be the answer to their prayers, but it turns out that it's it's cursed, and what lies in this village is far worse than what they're fleeing from. Right. Let's say let's put it like that. So yes, working very hard actually to get my next project going. I'm hoping I'll be shooting something this year. Oh, cool. um, yeah, it's looking more and more likely, but yeah. Tomorrow, it could look less likely than ever again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, it'd just be a matter of taking time off from here and then flying to America and taking like yeah. Six, so, like tend, I tend to do that. I tend to yeah. take a year out, go shoot something, and then come back to work. Yeah, oh, that's quite a nice way to do things, I suppose. It, we, yeah, I just yeah. wished it was regular and easy. But <laughs> hey, if my next one takes off, then maybe it'll get a bit all a bit easier. That yeah. process. Yeah, and then would that be the? I suppose that's the end goal of just kind yeah. of leaving teaching behind and then. Mate, yeah, no, I mean, no, not necessarily. I mean, the time it takes nowadays to between projects gets longer and longer. So, <laughs> and I do enjoy teaching. I do definitely enjoy it. Uh, my problem is, as my manager quite eloquently put it, my, your biggest problem, Clive, is that you're white and you've got a dick. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm in it. I'm in it. Uh, you know, I kind of got into the got into the film industry at the worst possible time for white male. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yeah. Uh, men. People don't want talented white male men. They want. Yeah, yeah. That's the problem. I don't know what a male yeah. man is, but there you go. A male, a male white, man, white, white a postman. Man. I've been up since four in the morning. Everyone I knows. said male man as well. To be fair, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so, well, we'll go to my other icebreaker question and then that might lead isn't on the to... ice well and truly broken it has it has well it's kind of a warm up a warm down question a what a cool down a cool okay. down yeah, question cool yeah down. we're doing our stretches now while we're saying yeah. this one so if you were cast as an actor in oh a my. horror movie it could be any horror movie oh you want God. okay which horror movie icon would you want to be killed off by Oh, man, you, these are tough. Really. <laughs> I should have really brought these up at the start. Like, yeah. well, uh, let me ask you the same question. I would probably go, and I, I actually thought about this when I wrote the question. Yeah, so see, I you cheated, a... you cheated, yeah. <laughs> um, but just because I'm a baby, I would probably say I would rather be killed off by someone like Freddy Krueger because at least I'd be asleep. Okay. Um, so are you talking as a character or as a person? Like, what would I prefer... As a, I suppose if if everything that we watch was real, I suppose yeah. Or if you are, it can be in a movie as well. So you'd probably want something quick, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I, like when I think about films that I like, how like I like how they did people in the ring, how people died in that. Um, yeah, you wouldn't want to be killed off by martyrs. But I'm not going to say anything because I want you to watch <laughs> it. You know. Um, so I would say. Whatever's the whatever was the quickest. It's a totally boring answer. This isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just, let me be more creative. Okay. Let me be. Let me take the one where I want to be aware that I'm dying. 
Uh-huh. I've got reasons for that because I believe that when you die, there's some powerful hallucinogenic drug gets released into your brain called right. DMT, and you go on a mad, crazy trip at the end. So I've, actually, I wouldn't go for a quick death. I'd want to be. I want it to be painless, but I want to be aware of it. I want right. to be able to have a moment where I go, I'm, I'm dying here, yeah? yeah, and I want to feel the world melt away. So who I don't know who that could be. Mm. Or with the, another thing we've sort of talked about a lot at work is the um, the coronavirus and zombie yeah. films. And if if the coronavirus was a zombie virus, I would definitely. I wouldn't be one of them guys who goes, you know. Don't let me don't let me turn into one of those. Kill me. I would like no way. I want to become a zombie. Yeah, yeah. I want a life as a zombie. I want to experience what that's like. So zombie, definitely Do zombie. It as a, and then you can live as long as you want after that. Well, yeah, yeah definitely zombie. I would love to experience life as a zombie. Yeah. Yeah, and I would love to kill my friends as a zombie. You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Would you want to be a Walking Dead style zombie or like a World War Z zombie, which have like super power, super powered zombies no, shuffling Just around, shuffling around, shuffling around, which is kind of the stage of life that I'm getting to now anyway so it wouldn't be that much of a change do you know what I mean just my diet would change but hey, yeah. zombies they only eat meat don't they yeah exactly it's low carb diet yeah. so I'm going to live a long time and on that they eat you know cows and animals and horses I suppose that's not yeah. we don't eat horses or we, we were at a certain point in time without knowing yeah <laughs> yeah so that would be my perfect death turn yeah. into a zombie and then uh, just wander around for years and then maybe somebody shotguns my head off. Yeah. How do we get here? I know, yeah. <laughs> it's like the darkest conversation, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. that was interesting. Um, so anyway, if you were, last question then and then we'll, we'll wrap up. So if you could, I suppose, if I don't know if you had time, think, reboot a franchise, if you had, or if you oh, had right. one thing, like a dream, a dream job, I suppose, that you could take on. It's hard for me, I'll tell you why it's hard for me to answer because I've never thought about it because <laughs> I've never thought it will happen. I've always thought I need to generate my own material. Yeah. So what's the coolest material that I can generate? Um, so I've never thought about yeah. a, f- a franchise. Um, Has fan films or anything ever come into I mean, like Obviously, there's a lot of really popular fan films, but you can't make any profit out of them. because Is this where like you all... make a film in the Freddy Krueger world, for example? Yes, yeah. Um, so I've never... But your own original story based in that world. Are you asking, have I ever done that? Or thought about doing something like that? No, I've never never thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to email you an answer because I'm drawing a total (laughs) blanket. No, no, that's good. It's a difficult question. I mean, to be honest, I don't know which I would prefer. There's... I'd like to to do... I think zombies are... I always think zombies are interesting because... It's one of the easy, but one of the sort of... It lends itself to social commentary as well as... Creepy bits, which I love, and gory bits, which which you love. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what which one it would be. The next, the you know, afternoon of the dead. Yeah. Or whatever the next bit of <laughs> yeah. the day is, you know. Yeah. Scotland's been cut off, and they're all quarantined behind there. Then the wall comes down, and then yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I always thought it'd be interesting to do a zombie film in Disneyland. Because during a zombie apocalypse, what happens to all these so you just ultra happy idea. popular places now? <laughs> if a film turns up, zombies in Disneyland, right? There you go. I want this podcast deleted. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, excellent. thank you very much for joining. Okay, me, Clive. Hey, done. And, uh, does any, do you have any like socials or anything, or is it just? I don't. I've got WhatsApp and What's YouTube. <laughs> yeah. So I'm oh, you've really... got a YouTube channel? No, not a channel. I've got. I, I go on YouTube. I oh, go on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. So. 
I, I went for a while, but I didn't like it. I came off it, <laughs> yeah. And I started to get in trouble from people who said you didn't like my th- something. I was like, I didn't even know it was there. You know? <laughs> so, but, uh, but people can find Mara on Amazon. Uh, oh yes, Prime. they can find uh, Amazon Prime, Sky Movies. I think you can rent it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's in shops as well. Yeah. The DVDs in shops. Uh, I think that's about. I think that's about how you can get it over here. Pretty much covers everything, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's on Netflix, <laughs> but only in America. Oh, okay. So I don't, I don't know if, when yeah. it's coming, or if it's coming out over here yeah. on Netflix. Well, I've got the DVD, but yeah, get the DVD fairly well priced anyway, so people can yeah. grab there. So yeah, make sure to get it if you haven't already. And Clive, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks. Okay, everyone, so there you have it. That is our interview with Clive Tung, our very first interview here on the channel. I uh, hope you guys all enjoyed that. And Clive, if you're listening, once again, massive thank you for giving up your time uh, and for being on the podcast, our very first interview. Uh, hopefully we will be able to uh, get some more interviews lined up in the future obviously it's a little bit difficult with location Uh, a lot of people that we would probably want to interview are you know away in either america or are working actors working directors um or you know difficult location wise here in the uk luckily for me clive is based here in cumbria so i literally had to travel about 25 minutes from my house to meet him Uh, but that's very much a rarity um, that anyone of any noteworthy, you know, credentials would be here in Cumbria. But luckily for me, that man is Clive and he is here in Cumbria. So also you might have noticed during the podcast that I was referring to to someone called Reese, uh, who you might not have heard in the podcast. He was there in the room. You might have picked up his voice uh, now and again. Um, but Reese is a good friend of mine. He knows Clive very well. Um, and he was the one who helped us kind of get together and set up the interview. Uh, he's also a sound man. So Reese, you know, he produced the majority of this episode. So big thanks to Reese. Uh, and he did um, help us with the sound in the studio and make sure we got everything as, uh, as crisp as possible. Um, so yeah, that wraps everything up, everyone so hope you've all enjoyed this episode uh, we'll see you all again next week um, and yeah hopefully we can get more of these interviews lined up in the future but for now our first one's done finally we've got somebody a guest on the podcast so thank you very much everyone for listening have a very awesome week and remember stay scared <laughs> Yeah.